Well, good morning, and welcome to Embrace. Uh, I am Tanya. I am one of the associate pastors here, and just want to welcome you. If you're new today or you're visiting with us, consider this your welcome. You'll be welcomed by other people, but just want to welcome you warmly to this space. Um, we're a church that sometimes isn't on time, so you'll see people trickle in. You'll turn around, and suddenly it'll be full. It just is how it is. But we just want to say thank you for being here this morning and welcome you. Um, there are some Connect cards that are in the pews in front of you, and we want to get to know you. We want to hear also about your prayer requests. So if you have a prayer request, we have a dedicated prayer team, the Embrace prayer team, who keeps your prayers confidential and will pray for you. So you can also put that on that Connect card. We also have giving boxes. If you would like to worship in giving, there is a giving box at the back that way and one over here to my left, your right, uh, so that you can give. Um, also, there are announcements. As you walked in, there should have been an announcement sheet. But we also email out announcements. So to my people that are online, I'm about to get online with you and monitor the comments. Um, I will place all the announcements online. But for those of you that are here, there are, on, there are sheets that tell you everything that's going on at Embrace. And we want to let you know about it. And then finally, I have mentioned to this congregation before that my entire family is neurodivergent. I have ADHD, and sometimes it's a lot for people to be in spaces with a lot of people, and it gets kind of loud. So we actually opened up the cafe, and there is a streaming service that uh, you will stream the whole entire service with us and just be in the cafe over that way. So we would love for you to join. If it starts to get a little bit loud in here for you or a little bit overwhelming with anxiety or neurodivergence, you can head over into that way. Uh, so I just want to open us up in prayer and then hand it over to the worship team this morning. Uh, thank you so much, Father, for this opportunity to gather in this place and online together to hear your word, to commune together, to celebrate the life of Christ, but also to learn, to grow, to grow in our own faith. We pray, Lord, for those who are coming in with lots of heavy things that they're carrying, that you would lighten their load and that everyone would leave this place changed. So in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'll invite you to stand this morning and join us in our call to worship. O oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. we get started this morning, our first song is just going to help us orient ourselves to the fact that we are worshiping God this morning and that he is God and we are not. And that is something I need to continue to sing over my own life and remind myself. So I invite you to worship with us this morning.
As we have begun declaring truth together this morning, let us continue by saying our confession and knowing we receive the forgiveness we seek. We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God and Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. This next song that we're going to sing is an opportunity for us to declare something this morning that you may not be sure you believe, and that's okay. A lot of times we sing or act our way into a new way of thinking. So we're going to declare this morning that Christ is enough. And maybe that really rings true for you. Maybe you're in a place this morning where you feel like that's all you've got and he really is enough. And maybe you need that to be sung over you today. But wherever you find yourself this morning, I invite you to worship with us.
say exactly how I feel and I can't begin to tell you what your love has meant I'm lost for words is there a way to show the passion in my heart can I express truly great I think you are my dearest friend Lord this is my desire to pour my love on you like oil upon your feet like wine for you
We're going to continue our time of worship by sharing with one another. This is our gratitude and lament portion of our service. You can come to worship here as a whole person. You don't have to come and put on a fake smile if you're not feeling it. And so this is an opportunity just to turn to a few people around you. If you have something that you want to celebrate and praise the Lord for this morning, please feel free to share that. And if you are carrying something this morning that's heavy or that you're lamenting, feel free to share that as well. So we're just going to take a couple moments and then we will come back together.
All right, if y'all want to take a minute or so, start wrapping up your conversations, that would be great. If anyone hasn't had a chance to share, make sure they get to... All right, if y'all want to wrap up your conversations, direct your attention up this way, that would be wonderful. As you're wrapping up, I'll give you some instructions if you are new here. We, uh, each week, we have what we call the Wonder Room. Um, we have the Wonder Room for our kids every Sunday, except the first Sunday of the month. And so if you have a child or you are a child who are four years old all the way through fifth grade, then you're invited to go to the Wonder Room uh, during a portion of our service. And so right now, I'm going to go ahead and dismiss our children for their time of learning in the Wonder Room. So if you are a child four years old through fifth grade, you can line up over here. Let's give them a hand as they come forward. If you are a parent and your child has never gone to the Wonder Room, I ask that you walk up with them, meet the volunteers, and make sure they have the correct forms filled out and all that. That would be wonderful. Well, it's really good to be together today. My name is John, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I just want to say welcome to each of you who came out on this cold uh, Sunday morning. It's March. It shouldn't be this cold, but we do live in Kentucky, so I guess we should expect it. I wanted to go ahead and share a, just a couple of brief announcements. We, we don't always tell you the announcements out loud um, because we have announcement sheets that are at the welcome tables, and we also send out an email each week. And so I encourage you to read those. Um, take one home with you if you don't get that email. If you'd like to start getting the email, then let us know, and we can get you on that. Um, but um, I do want to highlight a couple of them for you um, this morning so you make sure you hear about them. The first one is that next Sunday afternoon at 3 o'clock, and we're also going to do this same meeting on Zoom um, not this coming Tuesday, but the next Tuesday on March 28th at 8 p.m., and the details are in the bulletin or the announcement sheet. We're going to have an informational meeting just kind of about the current issues in the United Methodist Church. Um, some of you may not know this, but we are a United Methodist congregation here at Embrace, though we have people who come from all different um, kind of Christian backgrounds uh, that worship here at our church with us, which is great. Um, but you may not know this, but our denomination is going through a pretty hard time, and you may have heard about churches that are disaffiliating and leaving the United Methodist Church. You may have heard about the big split in the United Methodist Church that's coming up. You may have heard things about general conference and all these different things that maybe are confusing to you um, because I've been a part of it for a very long, my whole life, actually. I've been in the United Methodist Church, and it still confuses me at times. And so we wanted to have a meeting to be able to talk a little bit about what's really uh, what we think is going on in the UMC and just give you a basic overview and then kind of share with you a little bit about where Embrace is at in our own journey of understanding the underlying issues. Um, the denomination really, uh, the current reality is that it's, there's a lot going on, there's churches leaving, and it's really all the underlying issues are around human sexuality and faith 
and differing kind of perspectives on this. And so um, we want to share a little bit about it and also about our lead team's uh, discernment process we've been in for a while. Um, we have decided we are not going to be um, talking about uh, disaffiliation, but instead we are having some really important conversation um, around how to best include and love um, our LGBTQ neighbors um, in our community. And so um, we want to share with you all a little bit about where we're at. We're not done yet, uh, but we told you when we revamped this process and restarted it a few months back that we would give you all updates as we go along. And so this is one of our opportunities to do that. So if you're interested in coming, it'll be in the chapel um, at 3 p.m. on next Sunday. And so if you can't make it to that, then you're invited to come on Tuesday evening on Zoom. And we'll be doing that on Zoom as well. And so uh, we'll have some lead team folks there. I'll be there. And I'll look forward to having conversations. So if y'all have questions or thoughts as well, you can bring those. If you have questions or thoughts and you don't want to come to the meeting and say them out loud or you'd rather set up a meeting or something to talk about things, then I'd be happy to do that. So just reach out to me um, and let me know. And then another announcement that I'm going to give you a heads up about and I'll say more about in just a little bit is that we have been telling you that we are going to kind of get back to the old way of doing communion, um, which some of you may be excited about. Some of you may be not ready for that uh, yet. That's okay. During the pandemic, when we came back to worship in person, uh, we started using prepackaged communion elements uh, that you all are familiar with if you've been coming here. And uh, they got the little wafer on top that we're not quite sure what it is. Uh, and uh, Jesus is present. I do believe that. Um, and that juice that we're not quite sure what kind of grape juice that is because it doesn't always taste uh, so much like grape juice. Um, they've been kind of fun to use uh, for the past while. But we've really missed uh, the opportunity to come forward and share communion and be served by a communion server. Um, it's always a really beautiful image of us lining up the lines down the center aisle, all different types of people, all coming together um, to share this meal, all of us, every single one of us in need of God's grace and coming to receive the love that Jesus has for us. And so we're moving back to doing it that way. However, we will still have prepackaged uh, communion elements for those who um, still aren't comfortable uh, taking communion in that way with close proximity and all that. Um, and so if you're not comfortable with that, no pressure, no judgment at all. We will have those communion elements at the back by the giving box. And during our communion time, instead of coming forward, you can just get up and go to the back and get that and have your own time of prayer. If you'd like to come forward and kneel at the altar with those communion elements, you're more than welcome to. Um, and maybe you just really like them and you just want to keep using them. That's okay. Um, and so uh, I will give you a little bit more instruction about that um, when we come to that time. But I just wanted to give you all a heads up about that before we get there. So we're going to spend some time in prayer uh, like we've been doing every week for a while now. I'm going to kneel at the altar. If anybody would like to come kneel at the altar with me, you're welcome to do that. Um, you're more than welcome to stay in your seats and pray as well. I'm going to give us just some space to be quiet for a little bit. Um, and then I'll pray a prayer for us. And then we'll close by saying the Lord's Prayer together. And so um, if you'd like to come forward and kneel at the altar, you're welcome to do that now. Um, and we'll just take some space to be quiet and kind of settle our minds and our bodies and our spirits as we move into this time of quiet prayer with God.
Lord, we come to you this morning and we are grateful to be together in community. We're grateful that that you are present with us in a special way when we come together like this around the common purpose of lifting you up and praising your name and growing in our walk with you. We thank you, Lord, that when we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. We're grateful, Lord, that you love us and that love has brought us here, that love has brought us together, that love has transformed and changed our lives. Lord, some of us come here this morning feeling perhaps a little wounded, a little beat up. Maybe we feel not like ourselves. Maybe it's been a hard week for some of us. And God, we we come to you just asking for you to meet us here in this space and maybe do some healing work, some restorative work in our, in our hearts and in our minds, our bodies this morning so that we will leave here, Lord, feeling more like ourselves, more, more like the people that you had made us to be, more sure of who we are in you, more confident that we are your children who are loved by you. And some of us may come this morning with joy on our hearts and thanksgiving and gratitude on our lips, and maybe we are just feeling good. And I'm just so grateful uh, for that, and I pray, Lord, that that God, you would just uh, help that joy uh, to be contagious this morning and to spread to all of us in this space. I know for some folks in our community, uh, the past week has been really hard and, and kind of a brutal week in many ways. Many people are, are worried and afraid of, of lots of changes in, in our society, changes in our legislation about policies that may provide and and. and inflict harm on, on them and their families and their friends and people they love. And God, we pray you would be a comfort to them, that you would be near to them in this time of fear and anxiety and stress and anger. Many of us are still grieving loss and, and brokenness and disconnection and, and relationships that have been strained, God, and we, we just pray you would be near to us in our grief and that you would be our friend. I know that folks are dealing with sickness and, and bad news about health diagnoses and lots of different things that are just creating lots of, of fear and anxiety and worry, and we just pray that You would be with them in those moments of uncertainty, that you would provide healing, that you would work with doctors and through medicine and all the different things in your arsenal, Lord, to help bring people back to health. We pray for those that are sick among us in our church and in our extended community, Lord, that you would be close to them and bring healing and wholeness and friendship to them as they walk through hard times. God, we just pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would move in us and through us, that you would 
move inside of our hearts and minds, that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would give us, Lord, the fortitude we need to continue seeking after you and walking in the path, that, the path of peace that you've laid out before us, Lord. And that we would trust, God, in your promises, that your Holy Spirit would enable us and empower us, Lord, to continue moving, to continue walking in the path that you've laid out before us, even as we face challenges and setbacks and hardship. God, forgive us when we mess up. Forgive us when we fall down. And God, we pray that through the power of your resurrection that we could stand tall and we could get back up and turn away from the sin and the the distractions and all the things that entangle us and keep us down, that we could shed that weight and, and walk in freedom this morning. Lord, we need you so much. And, and God, I just pray that we could enter into this story, the story of your life, and particularly your life in those last few days before your crucifixion, God, that we could enter into that story once again this morning as we continue to reflect upon all that you said and did and, and why you did it and, and what it can mean for us today in this moment in which we find ourselves. Help us to have courage and strength to open our eyes and to see, to see things the way you do, to see one another the way you do. We pray this morning we could borrow your eyes, borrow your ears. God, become more and more in union with you, more in union with the spirit that lives within us. And that, God, you would guide us in every step of the way. That everything we do and think and say would flow from that divine center. That we could truly be uh, the light, Lord, that you that you want you want us to be. And now we join together and we pray this prayer. Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, we're, we're going to continue on in our series we've been in for uh, the past few weeks where we've been focusing on the last week of Jesus' life. Like I told you, like the gospel writers spend a disproportionate amount of time focusing on really just about eight days in Jesus' life. Starting at Sunday um, of that last week, which we know is Palm Sunday, leading up all the way to Easter on Easter Sunday. And so we've uh, covered three days so far. Uh, which has been exciting. I hope y'all, I've heard from you all. You've learned some things, and it's been really neat to see kind of how the story of that last week progresses. Um, we have covered Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. And what we see over the course of these three days in Jesus' life is we really see a pattern, and in, in, in what I see is really an increasing conflict with the political and religious authorities. Jesus was out in public all three days in Jerusalem, 
the, the, really the capital city, the, the place where the political and religious power was prevalent, where it was centered right there, right around the temple. And Jesus was out in public all three days. And he was not behaving uh, like your average pilgrim in the holy city for Passover. Let me give you a recap. So on Sunday, he staged a dramatic entry into Jerusalem, riding on a colt, drawing attention to himself as this coming king, this coming Messiah. And he was really showing a very different example of what a king would be, really in direct, direct opposition to Caesar and his kingship in Rome. Any talk of a new king would be of a great concern for the Roman authorities, right? Particularly during that volatile week of Passover. The religious authorities were also likely very concerned about what Jesus was doing because they probably would not have wanted any additional drama because any additional drama, any uproar, any crowds acting in unusual ways could mean that Rome might come down hard on them and their people. And so Sunday, dramatic entry into Jerusalem. Then he retreats to Bethany for the night, and he goes back into Jerusalem for a second day. Now, on Monday, he went straight to the temple, and he carried out a public direct action in protest of the temple authorities and all the ways that they had been hurting people there in Israel. He turned over tables. He blocked the flow of traffic. And then he called the temple a den of robbers. So naturally, the Jewish authorities who were there in charge of the temple, they got even more angry with Jesus because they did not like this, that he came into their space and was acting in this very bold and disruptive way. And so they began on Monday looking for a way to seize him and put a stop to his actions. So that was Monday. He again retreats back to Bethany, which is a suburb of Jerusalem, and he enters Jerusalem again for a third time. Now, even after all the drama on Sunday and Monday, all the conflict that was already starting to bubble up with the authorities, he went right back to the center of all the festivities. Jesus was very bold, a very courageous guy. I don't know if I would have done it, but he went to the temple courts. And he began to stand up and publicly speak. And he was teaching the crowds out in the temple courts. And there were lots of people because it was the Passover week. There was the festival that was approaching. People from all over the surrounding area had come there to Jerusalem on pilgrimage. And so he was standing up and teaching the crowds, drawing lots of attention and interest. The Jerusalem authorities, they sent their best and brightest to try to go and challenge Jesus, um, to embarrass Jesus, and maybe even try to turn the crowds against Jesus or trap him into saying something incriminating. Though Jesus was too clever, he was too smart, and they couldn't get him to fold. Jesus even then called out the religious authorities, the scribes in particular, accusing them of devouring widows' houses. He said to them that, uh, that basically they had been hurting these widows, and he said, watch out for them. They will receive their punishment. And then he drew attention to a poor widow who went to the temple treasury, put in her two coins, all that she had, and he drew attention to her. 
really to bring to light what the scribes had been doing, how they had been hurting widows just like this woman who went to the temple. And then Jesus did something perhaps even more bold than anything before. He prophesied that the temple would soon be destroyed. So you can imagine that the authorities in Jerusalem, particularly the religious authorities at this point, were very upset. And their resolve to take care of this Jesus problem and put a stop to what he was doing, it intensified and it got to kind of a breaking point. And by the end of Tuesday, they knew that Jesus had to go. However, the Jerusalem authorities had a problem. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but they felt like that it was too dangerous to do this out in public in broad daylight because Jesus was actually very well liked by a lot of the crowds. Jesus grew a crowd. People liked what he was teaching. They thought he was a pretty interesting guy. Jesus was out there among the people. And so your average folks there, the Jewish folks, were actually Pretty, uh, a lot of them liked Jesus. It seems like he was fairly popular among the people. They liked his vision of a different world where everything would kind of get flipped upside down. And so the authorities were likely nervous. And it says many times in these last few days that they wanted to arrest Jesus, but they didn't out of fear of the crowds. And so they wanted to arrest Jesus, but they were worried that there could be a riot, that there could be chaos and maybe even potential violence. And they didn't want that because if that happened in the Roman Empire, they were already, the Roman Empire was already nervous during Passover week. And if there's a riot, if there's an uprising because they arrested Jesus, this popular teacher, the Romans probably would not take kindly to that. And that could disrupt the relationship that these religious authorities had with the political authorities. And so they were very nervous. They were in a predicament. They wanted to arrest Jesus, but they had this predicament. And so which brings us to Wednesday. So let's read the first few verses from Wednesday. Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 2. And we've been using Mark exclusively as we've been moving through it because Mark lays it out really clearly which days are which. And he's really making a point to highlight what happens on every single day throughout this week. And so this starts Wednesday. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priest and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. Now the Passover celebration was approaching, which meant the festival would end soon. Which also meant that Jesus might be leaving the city at the end of the Passover celebration. And so they wanted to arrest him, but they felt like they couldn't do it during the festival because the people might riot. And so it almost seems like they've kind of like given up in a way. They're like, we wanted to do this, but I don't know if it's going to work because we can't do it now because it might cause some issues. So maybe they had lost their chance to take Jesus by force while he was traveling in Jerusalem. Now, it also seems like they didn't know where Jesus actually was. If they knew where Jesus was staying, they could have gone to him under the veil of night and arrested him, and the crowds may have not even known it would happen, right? They could have done it in secret. It seems that Jesus and his followers at this point had kind of gone underground. The situation had become too dangerous, and they needed to lay low for a minute. And so what would the authorities do? Would they just give up? Would they just let... Let it move on and look for a different opportunity down the road. 
what were they going to do? How were they going to arrest Jesus without provoking the crowds? Well, on Wednesday, we find the answer to their problem. What they needed was someone on the inside. They needed a traitor. They needed someone who knew where Jesus was going to be, who knew where he was going to be staying, that could help them to turn Jesus over to them at the moment that would be appropriate to avoid getting the crowds all riled up about it. And so we found their answer. We skipped to Mark. I'm going to skip to Mark chapter 14, 10 through 11, and then we'll look at the whole passage. But here's their answer. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And so they found their answer, right? Judas, one of the twelve. Mark is very intentional to keep saying, when he mentions Judas' name, he almost always says, one of the twelve. He's pointing out that Mark was one of Jesus' closest people, and he chose to give him up. He was one of his best friends, and Judas decided he was going to betray his teacher. Now, I wonder, did you all realize that Holy Week was full of, like, conspiracy and traitors and political violence and protest and bribery and drama? You know, I, I'm not sure I understood how much of this was going on until, like, I really started studying this. There was a sinister plot to take Jesus' life that had been developing for the first half of the week. Darkness was, like, hovering over Jerusalem. Something awful was about to happen. And it's really interesting, the story of Wednesday and Mark, because in the midst of this sinister plot to take Jesus' life, Mark tells a very almost random story about love and devotion. He tells this story about this woman who comes to Jesus and pours this perfume on his head, this beautiful act of love and devotion in the midst of this time of sinister darkness and betrayal and violence. The contrast couldn't be more profound. Why does Mark tell a story like this in his portrayal or his portrayal of Jesus' last week? Let's read it. It's Mark chapter 14, 1 through 11. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. And the chief priest and teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor, will always, or the poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. And so he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So Jesus was staying in Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, in the home of a man named Simon the leper. Now, I just want to, this is not directly related to the story, but one thing I want to point out is one of Mark's predominant themes throughout the whole gospel is crossing boundaries. Even the Sea of Galilee is viewed as a boundary. When he crosses the Sea of Galilee, he usually goes into Gentile territory. Jesus was about crossing boundaries to reach out to people that were often not reached out to by the folks in that community back then. And so Jesus was always trying to cross these boundaries that we create in our world. I saw a, 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 a kind of a cartoon that this guy does um, that I think they're always so clever, but there was an a, a image of G, or a guy drawing lines with a, a pencil. And he's trying to draw these lines, and it was Jesus coming behind with an eraser, erasing all the lines that the guy was drawing, the religious guy was drawing. This is who Jesus was. He crossed boundaries. The walls that we put up to separate one another, Jesus crossed those intentionally. And I love that he's doing this even all the way up to the end of his life. He's still consistently including and reaching out to those pushed to the margins. Mark makes it clear where Jesus was staying. And he didn't just say he's staying at a guy named Simon's house. He wanted it to be known that it was Simon the leper. Because lepers were often not included. We're often pushed aside. We're often told that you have to stay separate. This could have been a leper Jesus healed or perhaps not. But Jesus was staying in this man's home. This shows who Jesus really was. And while in the home of Simon, this unnamed woman comes into the home and she breaks open a jar of really expensive perfume and she pours it on Jesus' head. Now, some of the people in the house were angry. And they weren't angry because she poured perfume on his head. That was not an inappropriate thing to anoint Jesus. They were angry because they thought that she was wasting this expensive perfume. Like, we could have used this for something else, something more important. However, Jesus was honored by the experience and honored this woman as a result. And he even said that this woman is going to be remembered for what she did for Jesus. Now, what is going on here? Why was Jesus so impacted by this moment? Why did Mark decide to include this story of devotion and love in the midst of all the sinister plotting and darkness? Well, I believe this story is here and for, for a reason. I think one of the reasons is to serve as a contrast, really a stark contrast, to show the reader what true discipleship really looks like. Another common theme for Mark, and this is all throughout the Gospel of Mark, is the failure of the disciples. If you read through the Gospel of Mark, he is harder on the disciples than any of the other Gospel writers. Mark does not spare any of it. He's like, he's going to show painfully how, how painfully, terribly, awfully they messed up over and over and over again. And Judas really is the most serious example of the failure of the disciples. And we, we hear about Judas in this passage. And so one thing that happens in the Gospel of Mark is three times Jesus predicts that he is going to be arrested, that he is going to suffer, and he's going to die, and then three days later he will rise again. Mark arranges his Gospel really around these three predictions. And you can go and find them. They're all very similar. 
But Jesus tells them, this is going to happen to me. And every single time, Mark is clear that the disciples did not believe Jesus. And so every single time Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again, they did not believe it. And at times, people like Peter spoke up and said, Jesus, stop talking like that. And Jesus like, no, it's got to happen. They could not accept that their Lord and their Master and their Messiah would get arrested, that he would suffer, and he would die. They would not accept that. That was not part of their plan. That was not part of their plan. You know, we don't know why Judas betrayed Jesus. Um, may have had something to do with money. It could have had probably multiple layers. When you get to that point where you're willing to betray someone like that, there's probably more than just one reason, right? There were probably a lot of things that had been building for Judas over a lot of time to get him to that point where he would sell Jesus out. But perhaps one of those reasons was that he realized Jesus was not going to be who he wanted Jesus to be. The disciples failed to believe and to trust that what Jesus said was going to happen would actually happen. Yet, in the very last week of Jesus' life, when things started to get really bad, we meet this unnamed woman in Mark who anointed Jesus' body for burial. The disciples couldn't accept that Jesus would suffer and die, yet this woman was willing to accept that. She trusted that what Jesus said would actually come to pass, and she trusted that his way was the best way, so much so that she came to Jesus knowing full and well what was coming up for him and gave him an extravagant gift to show honor and praise to him in his final moments, knowing good and well that this suffering and this death was coming to him. I mean, as I think about that, like, that's a really good friend, <laughs> She believed Jesus. She trusted Jesus. She gave to Jesus. And she was willing to sit with Jesus in his most difficult moment as he awaited all the darkness and suffering and loneliness that was coming his way. We often don't like to sit with one another in the dark moments, right? The disciples did not want to sit with Jesus in this moment and could not even accept that it would even happen. Yet this woman believed and she trusted and she went to Jesus and showed him that kind of love and devotion in his final moments. One could argue, and they have, that this woman is the first true believer in Mark. The first person in Mark's gospel to believe in the cross and trust in the way of Jesus. Jesus' disciples really messed up at the end of his life. Judas clearly messed up worse than the others, giving up Jesus to the authorities in exchange for some cash. Peter, he denied he knew Jesus three times in a row in Jesus' darkest moment. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray on Thursday night, which we'll look at next week. And on Thursday, he said, can y'all stay up with me while I pray? In my darkest moment, it's about to get bad. And they all fell asleep. None of them except one of the disciples were there at the cross when Jesus was crucified. They scattered out of fear. They didn't even believe Jesus when he told them that all this was going to happen to him. They really messed up, right? These disciples messed up big time. But honestly, like as I've thought about it this week, I can't be all that hard on the disciples. I mean, when you put yourself in their shoes, they were in a really hard spot. 
They had their hopes and their dreams for their own lives, right? And they had hopes and dreams for their families, for their community, even for their nation. And they believed that Jesus was the answer to all their hopes and dreams. They gave up their lives to follow this guy. They could not accept that he would endure suffering and die. That was not part of the plan, though. And I understand, I wouldn't want that to happen either if I was in their shoes. They were willing to accept so much of Jesus' mission and his values, even his countercultural way of living in this world, but they couldn't accept that he had to suffer and would willingly give his life for God's purposes in this world. You know, I was, I was thinking about this passage. I was trying to think about what I wanted to say about it, and I'm like, well, what's it saying to me? And, and I can see myself in the woman in this story and also in the disciples in this story. You know, thinking about the disciples in this story, sometimes I lose trust in Jesus when things get hard. Do you ever struggle to trust God when things get hard in your life? Sometimes when things don't go my way or the world seems to be falling apart or when I'm hurt or afraid or lonely, I can pull away from Jesus. Sometimes the way of Jesus, frankly, just doesn't seem to work in this world. It doesn't seem to matter in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't seem to make any difference in my life or in the world around me. At times, I can get caught up in the lure of material things and money and comfort. And I focus on meeting all my needs and my desires instead of thinking about other people. I can understand why the disciples denied Jesus, why they fell asleep, and even that they sold him out for some cash. Can y'all relate it all to the disciples in this story? I mean, how many times have we pulled away or we failed to trust when things in our lives are not going the way that we think they should? Though at the same time, I, I, I can see myself in the woman who anointed Jesus. Because I've been through a lot of tragedy, I've been through loss, I've been through a lot of struggle in the past few years, and I'm trying my hardest to hold on to Jesus in the midst of all of it. And sometimes I'm barely holding on, right? But I'm trying to hold on to Jesus. I'm trying to trust Jesus in his message, in his way, even as I walk through dark times. This woman in the story was committed to the way of Jesus, even when it didn't make much sense, even when it was uncomfortable, even when it probably seemed foolish. She trusted Jesus and was willing to go all the way with him, even to his death. And I think her beautiful story of devotion and trust, it stands out in the midst of one of the darkest weeks in the history of our world. Her commitment to Jesus in the midst of a, these dark, sinister times, I think it, it gives me hope. It's a source of light for me in the midst of darkness. And it gives me hope that we too can stay committed to Jesus in the dark, sinister times in which we live today, right? This woman is an example of what true discipleship looks like. Jesus said her story would be remembered and told throughout the world, and so we are telling it today. Wednesday was a dark, dark day. It was a hard day. It was the day before uh, Jesus was arrested in the garden. I imagine there was a lot of stress. There was a lot of anxiety in that home in Bethany, but it was also a hopeful day because this woman brought some light and some goodness, and some love into the midst of a really dark and hard time. She understood the gospel, and she trusted in Jesus. And I think as we make choices in our lives to trust Jesus, 
and to hold on to him in the midst of our dark, sinister times, we can bring some light and some hope. And it can serve as a a wonderful contrast to all the darkness and pain and hatred that we see all around us each and every day. And so let's follow her example and cling to Jesus in the midst of the challenges that we face now. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to share communion this morning, and and like I told you earlier, we're moving into doing it in a different way than we've done for the past three years. If you're thinking about that last week of Jesus, we... uh, we talked about Wednesday this, this morning, and next week we'll be talking about Thursday. And on Thursday is the day where Jesus actually shared this meal for the first time with his disciples, where he shared this meal that we have come to call the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist or the Great Thanksgiving. There's so many names that we've given it because it's so multifaceted, and it's so powerful, and it's so beautiful. And one thing that we do when we share communion is, is we're really just trying to enter into that story of Jesus' life and what he went through, and all that Jesus gave uh, so that we all might be able to find life to the fullest. And so if y'all bow your heads with me just for a moment, I'm going to say a prayer for us, and then we'll share communion together. God, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We thank you for, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful for the, the hard and the, the rough examples of the failure of your followers in Scripture because that helps us to stay honest and it also helps us to know that there's grace and there's forgiveness for us when we mess up. And I'm also grateful for those who get it right sometimes. And I'm grateful for particularly the, the women in Mark's story of Jesus who, who time and time again seem to have eyes to see uh, through all the distraction and all the confusion and see the essence of what the gospel really is about. And we thank you for this woman who came and ministered to you in such a hard and difficult moment in your life. And who believed and trusted in you, even when it didn't make much sense. And so God, I pray this morning that as we share communion, that we would grow in our trust for you. That we would grow in our connection to you. And that, Lord, we could trust you, even when a lot of stuff in this world don't make much sense to us right now. Lord, we need you so much, and we ask that you would meet us now in this moment as we share the Lord's Supper together. I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon this bread and juice, that it would be for us the body and blood of Christ, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on whatever elements those at home have set aside for this purpose, that they too would be for them the body and blood of Christ. Fill us up this morning in a special way, and we pray we would leave here changed because we've encountered you the living God. I pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, amen. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come up to the front.
as they're coming forward, I'll just give you some instructions since we haven't done it this way in quite some time. Basically, what you'll do is you'll form uh, two lines uh, coming down the center aisle. And as you come forward, um, your server, uh, I'd like you to come forward with your hands uh, open. And on your way down, you can get some hand sanitizer as well. Um, and, and I want you to come forward with your hands open to receive the bread. And when you come forward, your server is actually going to rip off a piece of bread for you, and they will dip it in the cup, and they will hand it to you. And so when you receive the bread, it will already have the juice, and then you can, um, you can hold on to it and take it to the altar. You can eat it right away if you would like. Um, if you would like um, a gluten-free option, we do have the prepackaged gluten-free options here at the front, and your servers can hand those to you um, as you come forward. Just let them know when you come forward. And like I said before, if you're not comfortable uh, taking communion in this way, then there are two baskets at the back by the giving box, and one has the regular option and one is the gluten-free option, and you can use those um, if you would like. So I think I've covered all the important instructions, and, uh, and so now we'll just have a moment of just connection with God, and, and I invite you all uh, to come as you feel led. When I'm broken, when I'm afraid, when I don't have it together, when I lose my way, there is a place where I can go, where I am safe, where I am home, and I can trust you with my whole heart. Trust you with my whole heart, my whole heart. Yes, I can trust you with my whole heart. Trust you with my whole heart, with my whole heart. You know my story. You've always been my true companion, my faithful friend. There's not a moment of my life I live without you by my side. And I can trust you with my whole heart, trust you with my whole Trust you with my whole heart, trust you with my whole heart, with my whole heart. Yes, I will love you with my whole heart, love you with my whole heart, with my whole Bye. 
every anxious part of me and every fearful thought in me be set free set free in your peace your peace let every anxious part of me and every fearful thought in me be set free set free in your peace your peace let every shackle on me break and every shadow fall away i'm set free set free as you're able, let's all stand together for the benediction. It's really good to be together today, and I just pray that uh, my prayer is that God did something in your life today, um, and that you hold on to that and allow whatever 
whatever word God spoke to you this morning to kind of penetrate deep into the deepest places of you and to really transform you from the inside out. And so may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.